tonight being the full moon night of Marga Puja. We've come together to practice Dhamma, to meditate, chant, listen to Dhamma. It's also the occasion of Andrew taking the eight precepts going forth as an Anagarika, starting the first step of his training towards taking ordination as a Buddhist monk. As we know from <coughs> the scriptures, historically it's the day that the Buddha taught the Awada Patimokha teaching which for monks is particularly useful setting out <coughs> the way of practice for us very briefly, succinctly but clearly to abandon evil, cultivate good purify our minds, but also the other parts, verses of that teaching. Pakanti paramangtapo titika Patience, endurance is the highest austerity. It's the quality, the Buddha pointed out, leads to the incineration of mental defilements in the practice. <coughs> you also pointed out that Nibbana, the end of suffering, is the highest happiness, say the wise. It's the goal of our practice. And he reminded us how a true samana, a true, truly peaceful person lives and behaves. They don't insult or harm others through their speech or their actions. A samana is often known as a peaceful one, a peaceful person. Whether anagarika or novice monk or fully ordained monk, the samana, these are qualities, state of mind qualities that we develop in our minds, our hearts, that reflect the fact that we're renunciants, dependent on arms, gifts, offerings from the laity. We have to abide by the patimokkha discipline, all the rules of training, and we have to live in a harmless way. So that requires great restraint, patience, and many other virtues that we're cultivating constantly in our practice. And you'll see in Buddhist communities where they have Sangha living amongst them regularly, so Buddhist countries like Thailand, 
Sri Lanka and many other Buddhist countries, or even in the West where there are monasteries and lay devotees attend those monasteries. The ideal of the samana is there in people's minds. They have some <clears throat> perception that a samana is a peaceful person who is pursuing the spiritual practice, no longer pursuing wealth, fame or fortune. And a samana is someone who is patient with conditions. They don't give in to their anger easily. They find they train themselves to be patient and one who finds it hard to get angry and even harder to display anger. And one who finds it hard to display greed. As a samana, we can't be a burden on the lay community and bother them always asking for things and expecting things from them. We learn to live simply, frugally, economically. So practicing contentment is another aspect of the samana's life, learning to be content with what we have. As Lumpur Cha used to say, one who is content with little, has few wishes. <clears throat> if we're not aware of our minds, our hearts, then our wishes can become many. Always wanting something different, better, something that we don't have. And as samanas, because living in the forest, we have a lot of free time that is available to devote ourselves to, that training, study, practice of meditation. But if we're not using that time wisely, then it is easy for greed and desire to take over the mind. We can spend our time fantasizing and planning about the things we want, what we want to get from the world, even though we've taken on the training to give up our attachment to the world. A samana is someone who dwells in solitude. We live in a kuti and we spend time on our own, even though we may do group activities, we have interaction with the other sangha members and the laity. We also have this part of our lives which is devoted to solitude so that we can develop mindfulness and wise reflection in our day. If we're always busy socializing, busy with activities or even useful activities like teaching and service, then of course the ability to be introspective and turn our attention back to our own minds and do the job of a samana is reduced. We don't have the time to see our own minds because we're so busy. <coughs> so this teaching that the Buddha gave is a very powerful reflection that we can keep returning to in our lives as monks. <coughs> Highlights the important points 
that we need to reflect on as samanas and to develop as samanas. Lumpur <coughs> Chara, our teacher, also mentioned that really the quality of the samana, they grow internally, they're displayed externally in our behavior, of course, but they're internal qualities that grow in our hearts and minds through the practice. And they're not limited to the ordained sangha. The qualities of a samana may be found in the hearts and minds of lay people as well. He used to say if a lay person has hiriotapa, a sense of shame and fear and awareness of the consequences of their unskillful actions so that they're careful not to indulge in those kind of actions. If they have these qualities, shame and fear of wrongdoing, then their mind is like the mind of a samana. So even a lay person can be living in the world, (coughs) can have family, job, but if these qualities are developed well, their internal state of mind might be the mind of a samana. They may no longer be pursuing material wealth and fame and fortune so much as pursuing the spiritual life. They have the faith to do that. They have the strength of mind to keep pursuing it even in the midst of worldly life amongst other people who maybe aren't so inclined towards the spiritual life. And they have this awareness of karma, what is good karma, what is bad karma. And they practice accordingly in their lay life. So even though they may not look like a samana, they practice like a samana. And when you gather all these qualities together in your heart, in developing the patience, the harmlessness, the contentment, the renunciation, the restraint, and the effort to develop mindfulness and wisdom. In this uh, verse, the effort to develop wakefulness, <coughs> Chakaryanu Yoga, wakefulness of mind. If we gather all these qualities together and are putting effort into waking up to the truth by developing awareness and wisdom, then over time you appreciate how these different qualities support each other. There's no, the the path that the Buddha taught is not just one simple thing. Many qualities are being developed together and they are gradually maturing in our minds, our hearts. So the Buddha pointed out, as you develop more wisdom and understanding about how to free your own mind from suffering, then you naturally will understand the same truths apply to other people. And you gain more compassion towards others, seeing that they suffer in the same way you do. As you develop more restraint in your actions, and you have this sense of shame and fear of wrongdoing, 
this supports the arising of patience. If you're in a situation where you're tempted to say something hurtful or do something hurtful, but you're patient in that situation and you know that it would be wrong and making bad karma and <clears throat> hurting some other person if you gave in to your angry mood at that moment. If you know that, then you gain, maybe gain the patience just to restrain your mood in a situation. Perhaps when we're tired or overworked, it's easy to lose our temper with somebody. But as we're practicing this path, we develop the patience, the restraint. Even though the angry thought comes up, we don't let it translate into speech or action. And the more you practice, you the more you understand how these different qualities support each other. So the wisdom supports the compassion, the compassion supports the wisdom, the patience supports the restraint, the patience supports wisdom, and they feed back into each other. And often you can see how when we have not much awareness, not much understanding of our own mind, then we do just follow our moods all the time. Whatever we want to say, we just say it. We've been thinking a lot and then we just say whatever is in our mind, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Whatever we want to do, we just do it. There's not much restraint yet. But as you practice more, you can see if you develop some patience, it gives you the space in the mind, the time to see a mood, an impulse, a desire arise and pass away, and you start to notice you don't have to follow every impulse, every desire. <clears throat> you can be more patient with your own mind in different situations. You can choose to say something or not, act or not. So at springing from forth from patience, you, you get a lot of understanding and clarity about the deeper truths of the mind. You see the impermanence of your own thoughts and feelings as they arise and pass away. Because with conscious practice of patience and endurance, then you're willing to bear with sometimes your own moods that are not very wholesome, not very pleasant but you're not acting on them, you're just watching them arise and cease. You're patient with external conditions, situations, so other people, how they act, what they do, whether it's hot, cold, and so on. If you practice patience, you can see these different conditions arising, passing away. Lumpur Cha emphasized this over and over again, the practice of patience in particularly with meditation. So tonight we're practicing meditation through the night. And you have to face with feelings of tiredness, drowsiness. Maybe you have some pain in your leg, boredom, restlessness. But as you develop, consciously develop patience and a resilience to keep practicing, you notice your moods come and go, 
and how you can be sleepy at one moment and then a half an hour later you feel very bright and awake. Or you have a mood of depression or despair for a while and then it lifts and then you feel more normal, more content within yourself later. With the conscious practice and development of patience, you can endure many things, but you also get wisdom by seeing the the three characteristics of existence in in play. You see the impermanence of your mind, your states of mind, your thoughts, your moods, and they come and go. You can also understand the nature of pleasure and happiness as well. How we often we go running after the next pleasure. We have lots of desires and things that we feel will bring us pleasure and happiness, what we call sense pleasures. But as we practice patience and restraint, we notice how those feelings of pleasure come and go. They're very temporary. That gives rise to the chance for us to develop some insight understanding that you know whatever pleasure you seek in the world is only temporary when there's no patience then you obviously run after every desire and try to gratify it get what you want seek out what you want get it have it become it but particularly as samanas as bhikkhus we practice a lot of patience and you have many desires to get things have things based on your past life, having done that before, then it's natural when you're, once you're ordained you still have those desires arise. But now you can practice patience and just watch desire as a desire, as a mental state that arises, passes away. <clears throat> and you get that confidence, that understanding you know, you don't have to follow every desire. <clears throat> And the nature of our world is now that sensual desire, pleasure-seeking is often seen as something virtuous and good. It's what we want because we're in a very much in a materialistic culture. So we have advertising and all kinds of media promotions and even just culturally we influence each other as people. Always encouraging us ourselves to have more pleasure, pleasurable experiences. But we often become very much enslaved or obsessed, caught up in that, seeking the next pleasure. We have to go out, earn our money so that we can have more pleasure, more comfort. When you practice patience, uh, this gives the mind more steadiness and space to actually see the process of how it gets caught into sense pleasure, desiring things, fantasizing, dreaming, or just wanting things. But then that desire comes and goes. And you get the thing you want, maybe you get the pleasure, but then it comes and goes. If we never practice patience, restraint, mindfulness, then we might never realize that, how desire and the objects of our desire are actually temporary. They don't last. This gives us a new insight into the nature of this world that we live in. What formerly used to seem very alluring, attractive, pulling the mind out all the time, 
the more we practice, we don't seek it out so much. We realize true happiness doesn't come from just having the next bit of pleasure, sense pleasure, the next bit of comfort. The mind goes to a more subtle level. As you develop more joy from your practice, from the, keeping the precepts, serving the community, meditating, develop some calm mindfulness in your meditation. You, you, the level of the mind goes up to a, a more subtle level of joy, spiritual happiness. Of course, in the long run, you might say that spiritual happiness is also temporary. But the way the Buddha taught is he's teaching us how to see there are these grades or levels of happiness that human beings can experience. And the very coarsest kind of happiness is just what we call sensual happiness. Always seeking more beautiful things, tasty things, things that smell good, nice sounds, beautiful sounds and so on. But that's a very coarse state for our mind to be in because we're constantly seeking and this leads to a lot of dissatisfaction and discontent. Also very tiring for us as human beings to keep chasing more pleasure. So the Buddha said as we practice, we gain more spiritual pleasure, spiritual happiness inside. The mind becomes more content, more satisfied. It doesn't need so much pleasure from the world. <coughs> so this is why Samanas, Buddhist monks, can live without a lot of material wealth and just have the basics, what they need for good health, for living in the world. But we're no longer seeking to accumulate wealth or to possess wealth and to have many things externally, materially, because we have something much more satisfying inside from our practice. But we have to recognize that, acknowledge that, and that's something we have to reflect on as well. Even the spiritual happiness we gain living the monastic life as bhikkhus, we can take for granted, or we can become complacent or just get used to it. So when we first enter the monastery, we might find we get some peace and happiness from our meditation. We've left behind some of the chaos and the different activities we were involved with before, so it can seem quite peaceful for a while. Then after a while the mind gets used to it. Then we might even get bored with it or complacent and start looking back to the world to find more interest, more attraction. Many practitioners go through this cycle where they get inspired and practice for a while. Then they start to get more dull and then they pray to their own desires again, go back to the world, make some more money, have a family, whatever. It's not that these things are wrong, but as we're practicing the spiritual life, we're always aspiring and motivating ourselves to raise our level of our mind higher through the practice. And this is how the Buddha taught, that the human mind can go higher, to higher levels of happiness, as we keep sila, you know, we're not harming anybody, we're living a very pure, virtuous life, we get one kind of happiness. <coughs> <coughs> 
as we practice the Brahma Vihara Dhammas, practice kindness and compassion in daily life, we get other kinds of happiness. As we develop mindfulness and states of calm concentration, we get happiness. But the highest happiness is the wisdom, the insight that sees the nature of this world and all of these things as impermanent and without self. So this inner clinging and grasping at our experience, always wanting to own it and have it, possess it, the mind starts to give that up, give it away, because we're more content to be with insight, to see the nature of things the way they really are. This has a purifying effect on our mind. What the Buddha was talking about in this teaching, the Awada Patimokha, Satchita Pariyopatapanam, purifying your mind, developing clarity, insight, wisdom that knows the way things are. So the mind is peaceful inside and clear and without wanting to grasp or cling to the world again because it knows it's only temporary, the happiness is only temporary. So in Buddhism we say the highest happiness is the happiness that comes from a peaceful mind and the brightness of wisdom, insight. Your mind is no longer deluded by the world, no longer attached, obsessed with or trying to hold on to things that ultimately we can't hold on to. We understand we, we are willing to accept the way things are and everything is impermanent and without self we can't own it, have it. doesn't mean to say we can't experience happiness in this world and we get a lot of happiness through our practice helping others, helping ourselves, developing ourselves learning the Dhamma, meditating and so on but even this happiness from the practice we are also seeing it's a conditioned thing that's where we fall back on our practice of patience and endurance again as we live in the monastery it's not like you have happiness all the time, you have mood changes, you feel inspired, then you lose the inspiration for a while. You feel peaceful, then you lose the peace. You feel content, then you feel discontent. And things will change, just as our body changes as we get older, we have more physical ailments or feel tired. Mentally our mind changes. And we have to accept there will be different mood swings, feeling content, discontent. Sometimes, you know, day by day or even hour by hour, our mood can change quite quickly. So we need that patience and resilience to be willing to stick with the practice even though we have the ups and downs of a, a human mind, a human body that's not always predictable. But if you keep practicing, obviously you do gain certain qualities that don't disappear they don't just disappear like that so even though you still have some mental suffering some dissatisfaction some anger some greed some worries fears whatever some of the qualities of the practice stick with us the more we do it and we can see these are just mental states mental experiences that come and go
one thing that helps us with that is to reflect on our teachers, on the Buddha, and our enlightened teachers like Lumpur Cha. And they've all started from the same place as us. They all were lay people who then left the lay life, went to live in the forest or in the monastery to train, practice. They've all had to do deal with the same human mind that we do. We've been reading, hearing Lumpur Cha's biography, his life story recently. And Lumpur Cha was just the same as any one of us. He could get angry, he could have greed, lust, doubt, worry. But the important thing is we can see he's somebody who didn't give up the practice. He's willing to learn from all these things willing to keep practicing through them until he gained the insight to let go of his attachments, to see these different moods and mental states and the different suffering of the human condition as just what it is, just the suffering of the human condition, but not taking ownership of it, not identifying with it, and just knowing that's the way of the human body gets old, gets sick, one day it must die, and the human mind, you know, memories and feelings and thoughts, they're un- uncertain, changing according to causes and conditions. And the Buddha, Lumpur Cha and all the other teachers, they practiced what we're doing in just the same way. And they're the guarantee, the proof that it's, it's worthwhile, even though sometimes it's challenging. And they've proven that human beings can live like this, practice like this, and find good results as well. Find true peace and happiness inside. So I'll leave you with these thoughts for your reflection tonight, and we can just do some more meditation till the end of the session.